This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Revelation 21.5. That's right, right into the book of Revelation. We're going hard and heavy, 2021. We're coming out with the big guns. I'm setting this up, but it's actually only one verse. And here it is. Behold, I am making all things new. This is Jesus speaking to us from the throne of God, saying to his people, the church, that's you and that's me, that's any of us who have put their hope, trust, and faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying to the church, and he's, as he said then, I believe that he is still saying this today. Behold, I am making all things new. Say it with me, all things. things. He didn't say some things. He said all things. And that should be actually an encouraging word to us. Because there are areas of our life, come on, that need God to come in and do some home improvement. You know what I'm saying? To come in and renovate, to do something new. Some of you older ones that have been walking with the Lord for a while, you understand this. It's easy sometimes for things to get a little stale. Come on, get a little old, get a little, you know, we we sort of just slip into routines and we start to think we kind of got things figured out and all fleshed out. And God comes along and he has a way of just shaking us from our apathy, from our slumbers, from our sleep. And he wants to make all things new in our lives. He wants to make all things new in your life. And I don't know about you, but there's areas of my life where I'm like, God, let's go. Come on, let's, let's do a new thing. And I'm not saying that for us, many of the things that God has taught us or learned, that we just discard those things. No, actually, God is a God who loves to build upon solid foundations. And we know that Christ Jesus is our cornerstone. The scriptures tell us that he was the stone that the builders rejected, that God actually chose for great honor to start his building project. And what is that? That's us. That's people. God is not into building buildings. He's into building people. And so he wants to use you. He wants to use me to be a part of this great big building project in the earth called the church where we get to come together stone upon stone, brick upon brick. In in 1 Peter, it says that we are living stones, that when we come together, we actually become his spiritual temple in the earth. How cool is that? That is amazing to me. And I believe that part of the new thing that God wants to do is built off of what he's already done. He's not into just completely destroying and demolishing what came before. In fact, Jesus even showed up on the scene and said, if you think I've came to abolish the law and the prophets, you're wrong. I didn't come to to throw those things out. In fact, he came to build upon them and to expound and elaborate and bring greater understanding and revelation of what God was always up to in and through the giving of the law. And so we see that in our lives, the invitation for all things to be made new is not just an annual thing, we love to come together and celebrate New Year's, and I hope you guys had a great New Year's celebration and party. But a part of God's heart isn't just to do one new thing at the beginning of the year or the end of the year and, all right, see you next year, Lord. No, this is a daily thing that God wants to do. I believe that Jesus is speaking to his church right now, and he's saying to us, I want to make all things new. Not just tomorrow, not just a year from now, but today and every day. I believe that God wants to bring what I'm calling tonight renewal to his church. And so the theme of this series that we're diving into is renewal because I believe, and many people believe, that God is making all things new. And so we want to focus in on those new things that God's doing in this year and beyond. Come on, say amen. Amen. I believe that the scripture is very clear 
that God is a God who is active and involved in our lives, or at least he wants to be. He's not distant. He's not far removed. He's transcendently God, but he's also interested in the intricacies of your life. Scriptures tell us that he knows the hair or the lack thereof on your head. And it says that he's interested, like he's, he's invested in you as a person, as a human being, as a living soul. And I believe that part of that new thing that he wants to do is him wanting to bring about renewal in your life as the creation that he loves. So listen to the language of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God is a God who's interested in doing new things. He wants to bring renewal into our lives. He wants us to become new creations in Christ. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, guess what? You're already walking in this reality now. God's already begun his new thing in you. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, sometimes, when, many of us, when we come to Christ, we think that everything's just going to be peachy and wonderful and that we become new creations and we never have to deal with any problems or strife or hurts or habits. Come on. How many of you guys know that's not true? When God begins his renovation project, when he moves in, he starts saying, okay, I want to do, I want to do some work. <laughs> All right. I, from the moment we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, the moment that we put our faith in him, the moment that we accept the work of the cross into our lives, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, moves in and he starts wanting to renovate. He starts wanting to move things around. Now, when Candace and I first moved back to Utah, we moved into our home. We tried to put couches in rooms that didn't fit. And we realized real quickly that we had to make some changes. And in the same way, God moves into our home and he goes, I want to make some changes. There's some things here that you've been trying to fit that don't work. There's some patterns of behavior and thinking that don't work. There's some things in your life and in your mind that have to be renewed. In fact, the word of God tells us that we are to be transformed, that means changed, by the renewing of our minds. So when God comes to us through Paul here in 2 Corinthians and says, you're a new creation, the old's passed away, and behold, the new has come, this is just the beginning. This is the beginning of all the new things that God wants to do in and through your life. That's why Jesus would come to us at the end of the text and say, I'm still making all things new. And I believe the invitation for us is to say, God, what part or area of our life is still holding on to the, the old, the, the old things that have passed away. Maybe, maybe it's a mindset, right? We're just stuck in this mindset, or we've got God in a box. We're like, God can only do this and nothing else. And maybe God wants to say, you know what? Let's, let's open up that box this year. Let's, let's open up your mind a little bit this year. Let's, let's allow for him to do something new this year. Maybe it's addictions or areas where you don't have freedom in your life. And you're like, but I thought I was a new creation in Christ. Well, you are, but you still got to learn how to walk in freedom. See, Jesus brings us out of slavery and bondage, and he brings deliverance into our lives. But then we got to learn how to walk in it. When God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, how many know that he still hadn't got the Egypt out of the Israelites? It took about 40 years. And, and that was the whole reason why they stayed in the desert so long, because God was trying to get the Egypt out of them. He was trying to deliver them from pagan mindsets, from the worship of other deities and gods, from practices and customs and habits and behaviors that weren't helpful, that didn't work. And in the same way, I believe that the invitation to us as Christ followers is to follow Jesus into a new day. 
where God can do a new thing and teach you how to think anew. And part of the mindset of freedom is learning how to think free thoughts. When Nehemiah went and re began to rebuild the temple, began to rebuild the walls of the city, I should say, there was resistance. There was things that came against him in that effort. And in the same way, when Jesus moves in, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be stuff that, that, that's going to come against his renovation project in your life, him doing these new things. And so part of our job and I believe part of the mission of this church is to equip you and to empower you to love, follow, and serve Jesus courageously so that you can step into the new day. Come on, so you can step into 2021 and have a promise in your heart, have faith in your heart that today's gonna be better than yesterday, that you're not gonna give up because 2020 was hard. Come on, that we're gonna step in to all the things that God has for us and begin to think new thoughts. Begin to train our minds and renew our minds to think God thoughts over our life. How many know that we live in a world that is just bombarding us with thoughts that are not from God? Come on, from politics to social media to the news to entertainment to corporations and pharmaceutical companies. We live in a world that's just trying to grab a hold of us and tell us what to do and control us and and. God wants us to come out of that and be free from that so that we can actually live according to what we see in the life of Christ. And that's the invitation. And that's really what I want to press us toward throughout this series. And that's my setup. Tonight, we're going to talk about what I'm calling the great reset. I want to talk about what I believe God has done throughout this year. And to be honest, I, I might wager that it actually goes back a little bit beyond 2020, in my opinion, as somebody who has been prayerfully watching what God has been doing throughout the world and throughout his church and throughout the nations, I believe that there has been a setup for this moment that we're in right now as a people. And I'm calling it the great reset because I believe that God has been interested in doing some recalibration or some resetting of our hearts and our minds toward the things of God. Today we're going to focus on this reset, and then we're going to move into what I believe is areas of renewal that God wants to touch on for our lives. First and foremost, I know most of us feel like we've just kind of survived 2020. Uh, if, you, if you came out of 2020 and you are alive and breathing and things are good for you, congratulations. You, you are a survivor. I'm a survivor. I ain't gonna stop, no. Should I go back further, Matt, or no? He's giving me the no, okay. I will survive. I think there was a song, Tina Turner or something. Yeah, you know it. And to some extent, like that in and of itself is a great thing, right? And I don't want to diminish uh, the, the lessons we've learned, the pain we've walked through, the, the suffering, the struggle, whatever it is. And for some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you can relate to that in some way. Uh, some of you lost jobs and some of you actually gained jobs. Some of you lost loved ones and some of you pushed through this thing and saw God meet you on the other side. But I don't want to diminish or make light of what we walk through, but I want to learn from it because I believe that God has some keys for us in what we've gone through that will help us walk into our today, into our 2021. Amen? So let's talk about this great reset as I'm calling it. You know, for some of us, the, the reset has been a pause. It's been a, a pause in our schedules, 
in our moments with one another, to, to renew our focus around family, around friends, maybe people that we haven't spent a whole lot of time with. I don't know, maybe that's you tonight. For some of us, it's, it's been the resetting or the renewal of focus around recognizing things that you've been doing in your life that don't actually add any value to it. All right, about a month in to the quarantine, I found myself just binge watching shows and God was like, really, is this what this is all about for you? And I'm like, I don't know, Tiger King's kind of interesting. So, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm like you in that just because God puts a microphone in my hand doesn't mean that I don't struggle with the things you guys struggle with. Come on. And part of what I've walked into is the recognizing of things in my life that God said, that's not adding any value to what you're doing. Like, I know you enjoy entertainment. And you, everyone loves the movies and all that. But is that adding actually any value to your life? And so I had to begin to really take inventory of my heart and go, you know what, God, you're right. Some of these things are just time wasters. Uh, you be, you, what about relationships with people that were demanding things of you or, or, or wasting your time? I call them time suckers. Relationships with people that you're like pouring in and they're not pouring back but they're just taking up all your time. Yeah, maybe. I think for some of us, it's just been the gift of becoming more present and less overcommitted. For some of you people pleasers out there that love to say yes to everything, maybe in the midst of this reset, God has been able to get your attention. And maybe the challenge is for you and I to say, you know, we don't have to say yes to everything. We don't have to be at every party. We don't have to be at every engagement. We don't have to try to be all things to all people. Come on. Why does this matter to us? Well, I think that we are living in a time, and particularly in 2021, where because of this reset that God has done, because of this pause or this moment to sort of become more aware or present or to identify things that matter most, we're now in a better place to move forward with commitments, with engagements, with passions, with priorities. And I know this about all of those things you will put your heart behind the things that you love. You'll put your treasure behind the things that you love. You'll invest your, your time and your talents behind the things that you love. Because as human beings in the earth, and as we've talked about for weeks, we are worshipers. And we will worship. The question is, what or whom? And for all of us, the question is, what am I giving my time and my talent my treasure to? 2020 was a moment where I believe God came and hit the reset button and said, what are you putting your time and your talent and your treasure into? What in eternity is going to matter most about what you're involved in today? Can I say it that way? Can I say it again? What in regards to eternity are you putting your time into that's going to matter most for today? I believe that's essentially the framework that God has given us to then establish some new rhythms, some new practices that I believe will help us become more healthy people, become more present people, become more engaged people, become more prayerful people, become more generous people, become more thoughtful people, become more alive and more free. Because I believe that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want you to remain in bondage. He wants you to come out and to walk in freedom. Part of that freedom walk is learning how to, once you're free, stay free. And that's really what we're after tonight, is what, what's going to help us really establish things that keep us living as free in the earth today, living as, as God's free people. And I'm not just talking about 
socio-political issues and what we see in our world. I'm talking about spiritually. I'm talking about your mental health. I'm talking about what's going on in your soul. And all of us need to be honest about that. For some of us, we've played this game where we just try to like cover up and pretend everything's okay. Fake it till we make it. Does that ever work? No. But why do we do it? (laughs) Why do we pretend? You know why? Because it's easier than being honest. Because honesty requires risk. I have to risk that you're not going to reject me, Jonathan, if I get real with you, right? But I don't know if I can trust you. So it might just be easier for me to put on a mask in the front and be like, hey, bless you, brother. Things are good. All right. You're doing awesome, right? It requires risk for us to get real about all the things that God wants to identify and help us walk in greater freedom in. So I want to focus on three things tonight that I believe God is doing in us and wants to do in us to help us remain free, help us walk into 2021 and allow this renewal, this new thing to happen in our hearts. Are you guys open to that tonight? All right, I got a couple amens and a couple yeses. So my first point for us tonight is this. Number one, God didn't create you just to work. You need to rest. In Genesis chapter two, verses two through three, in the ESV, it says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. You see, the scriptures here tell us that God rested on the seventh day from all of his work, not just some of it, but all of it. And I believe that God rested to model for us what rest is supposed to look like. That means disengagement from work, disengagement from activities, disengagement from things that require effort from you. And I believe that as people made in his image and likeness, if God rested, guess what? You need to rest. And I think this is so important for us to understand. I think it's so important to God in in that he blesses it, meaning there is something special that God does with the Sabbath, what we would call the seventh day here, to show us why we too should keep it holy, why we too should practice this, why we too should embrace this God rest in our life. We call it the Sabbath, and the Bible's full of references to the Sabbath. It's a Jewish practice of resting on the seventh day. The Jewish calendar would be Saturday, but the real focus is that one out of every seven days, you're, you're not doing any work. Some of you are really good at this already. Some of you workaholics like me love to just work, right? You just love it. Like, I love to work. I'm passionate about what I do, and it's easy to, to be excited and engaged in the things that you're excited about. But God says, this isn't good. In fact, what is good is for you to learn how to rest. And we see this also in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. God says to the people, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you will do no work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servants, your female servants, your family, your livestock, the sojourners among you, your guests. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and he reminds us of the Genesis account, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. 
God making it holy means that it's set apart. It's special. It's different. It holds a different place of value in your life. And I believe that a big part of this great reset that God has been doing within the earth has been putting his finger on our values and, and asking us, like, what do you value most? Success? Money? Power? Sex? Pleasure? Or is there any room for rest? Is there any room to trust God to be at work even when we're not? Hear me on this. God wants you to work, but he also wants you to rest. And he wants you to learn how to rest well. Some of us don't know how to rest well. If you look at our culture, we're overprescribed. We've got so much medication and things that people now rely on just to get a good night's sleep. And it's sad because that's not the way that God intended it. Now, if that's you, that's not a condemnation at all. Do what you got to do. But I believe that God's gift to us as his people is rest. I believe he wants us to know rest. He wants us to refrain from work and to step into rest. Now, this might not necessarily mean just sleep. This might mean you finding things that replenish your soul. So for me, when I'm at home on my Sabbath day, most of the time I'm in my garden or I'm mowing the grass or I'm doing things that technically could be considered work. But to me, I love those things. Those aren't work to me. They replenish my soul. They actually do more for me than sitting on a couch binging Netflix. Come on, somebody. So what's the point? The point is we don't have to be uber religious about it. Don't, don't miss the spirit of the letter, okay? Because what God is really after is things that are going to replenish your soul. And for you, maybe it's other things. Maybe it's going to a coffee shop or maybe it's sitting at home and reading a good book or maybe it's taking a drive somewhere or going up uh, onto the mountains to ski or maybe it's getting out of Dodge for a while. I don't know what that is for you and that's okay. But the important thing is that you find what works for you, what activity or, or rest will bring about restoration of your soul. When we don't do this, we are allowing the world and all of its influence to slowly dominate our lives. When we say, God, I'm going to trust you in this and I'm going to set this aside and this is your time and this is time for me to do no work and just to rest and to be replenished, it's amazing what God will do with that one day. More so than what most people could do with six. Here's the point. Do things that replenish your soul. Do things that help you find peace and that help you distress. And I believe that we can do this not just weekly, but every day. Here's what pastor and author Rick Warren says about it. And I bought into this fully. He says, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. We have that slide. Let's go ahead and put that up there. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. He's talking about a rhythm and a lifestyle of Sabbath rest. Divert daily is when you don't, when you, you find a time in your day to divert your attention away from your work and to do other things. All right. For some of you, you're diverting on Facebook way too much. Maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's just you going outside for a quick 20-minute walk. Or maybe it's just stepping away from the desk or the computer. Maybe it's, you know, making a call to a friend or love. It doesn't matter what it is. But you do something every day to divert your attention away from your work. And that's a daily practice or rhythm of Sabbath. Then you withdraw weekly. This would be what we're talking about. A day out of the week that you've set aside to do no, to do no work. Some of you are like, I got to work every day. Well, I got to tell you. If you're working every day, you're doing it wrong. 
Got a little quiet in here. And then not only do you withdraw weekly, you abandon annually. You abandon annually. What does that mean? It means take a vacation. Get out of Dodge. Take a week. Take a couple days. Whatever you can. Get out and incorporate these rhythms into your life and watch how God brings about a new thing in you. Watch how he brings renewal into your life, into your soul. Because what's happening is you're, you're beginning to trust that the way God created the world to work actually works. We think we do a better job in our lives than God, and God was like, oh, okay, let's see how well that works out for you. And so he takes his hands off, and then we fall into things like toddlers, right? We bump into stuff and fall over, and we do it over and over and over again. And then we're burnt out. And then we wonder why we're so tired and exhausted and overworked and overcommitted and all these things because we haven't learned how to give God margin, give God space to work. And these are three simple ways that I believe we can do that. Listen to what God says about the blessing of Sabbath rest. Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you do those things, if you honor it, and you don't go your own way, or seek your own pleasure, or go about talking idly, guess what will happen? Verse 14, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will. I gotta tell you, pause right there. I love the I wills of scripture, because these are promises from God that you can build and bank your life upon. He says, if you do these things, if you set apart time and you honor the Sabbath day and you keep it holy, meaning it's special, here's what I'm gonna do. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What he's saying is the blessing of God to Abraham, to Jacob, to Isaac, the blessing and the promises of God, all of that I will do for you if you honor the Sabbath. How amazing is that? I wish someone would have told me that when I was 15 and 25 and 30 and 35 and for some of you, 40 and 50. But here's the reality. It's never too late to start. And I believe that part of God making you to ride on the heights of the earth is him elevating you, like bringing you out of this mess and the stuff that you're in, elevating you above circumstances and issues and problems and strife. That's what I take riding on the heights to mean. And he says, I'll feed you, meaning he'll be your provider. He'll replenish, he'll restore. He'll do what all of the drugs in the world cannot do for you. Come on, somebody. He'll do what all of the, the pleasures of the world cannot give us. He himself, from his own hand, will take care of us. If you honor the Sabbath. That is a conditional promise, friends. Meaning if you do, he will. And if you don't, he won't. You catch that? So number one, God didn't create you just to work. You need to rest. Number two today, God didn't create you to be in such a hurry. <laughs> you need to slow down. For some of you that love to speed, this is a literal encouragement to you. <laughs> you need to slow things down. I believe that hurry is one of the great enemies of our soul. We live in a culture and in a day and age, and it doesn't really bear, worth, bear repeating, but I'm going to say it anyways. We live in a day and age where everything is microwaved and accelerated and sped up 
and increased. In fact, every tech company right now is trying to figure out how to get data to you faster and in a quicker hurry. And they're building server sites all over the United States to increase your bandwidth so that you can get on the internet faster and so that they can put advertisements in front of your face faster and make money off of you faster. Come on. The whole idea of commerce is being increased and accelerated and we're running at a breakneck pace and we're trying to keep up and we're trying to pay the bills and we're trying to, and we're just exhausted. Anybody else just feel like 2020 was just like a confrontation with your own exhaustion? Some of you are like, 2020 was exhausting. I don't know what you're talking about. I felt like I was running and I had a good pace and God was like, you're in too much of a hurry, Jason. You need to slow down. Like, what I'm doing with Courageous Church is going to take some time. You need to slow down. And I'm like, yeah, but God, I'm like excited and I'm, you know, I want to be faithful and obedient, right? We all have that like purity toward what we think God wants of us. And then God's like, simmer down. Slow it down a little bit. You don't have to go so fast. But it's hard, isn't it? Because in this culture that we're in, we're confronted with the daily realities that everybody's getting somewhere fast. Right? We see p- pictures of people's success and we're like, how'd they get that so fast? And what we don't realize is that it most, for most people, like 99% of people, it took a long time. We're just now seeing it presented to us in this beautiful little package, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. But what we don't realize is that most things in life that are meaningful take time. God didn't create us to be in a hurry. He wants us to slow down. Here's what Proverbs 19.2 says. It says this, Desire with knowledge is not good, and whoever, that means any of us, makes haste with his feet, misses his way. (laughs) The ancient wisdom of the Jews here is telling us, you need to slow down, because it's not good for you to be in such a hurry. It's not good for you to run with haste. You're going to miss your way, and you're going to miss out on important things like people and friendships and relationships and stuff in your life that actually matters. They've done studies on this, and I like to, well, I'll just go ahead and and read you what, what the study is. So they've done a study on speeding and on how much time it actually saves when you speed. This will be fun for some of you. Check this out. Studies have shown that if you go 10 miles per hour over the speed limit, and let's say you're taking a 15-mile trip. So that's in this valley, that means pretty much anywhere. 15-minute direction, right? So if you're going anywhere in this valley and the speed limit's 45 and you're going 55 miles per hour, guess how much time you actually saved on your trip? Come on, let's make this interactive. Three minutes. You save three minutes of time. Some of you are like, yeah, that's three minutes, baby. But can I ask you, is that really going to add any value to your life? Meanwhile, you cut seven people off. You gave somebody the finger. You spilt your coffee. You smeared your makeup, ladies. Come on, you, you endangered everyone around you because you're going crazy trying to save three minutes. I've done it. <laughs> and what's so funny to me and what's so ironic to me is that we think that by getting somewhere faster that we're going to achieve something. And I think in life, we adopt the same posture. We're like, if we can get to this stage, if we can get, if I can just get through the stage of life I'm in now, then I'll be happy. 
That doesn't turn out so well, does it? I remember being in grade school, dreaming about being in high school. Like, oh, I can't wait to be in high school. And then I was in high school and I couldn't wait to be in college. And then I was in college and I couldn't wait to be done. And, I, and then I wanted to be married. And have my, like we're always in the next moment, living in our now, but in the future. And God says, you need to slow down. You don't have to be in such a hurry. That was a song we used to sing with our kids when they were little. And I don't know what it is about life that causes us to feel like we have to rush. Because what I've found is so much of the joy and the meaning of what we have and experience is found when we're willing to just slow down, breathe, and take it in. We miss out on relationships. We miss out on opportunities to connect with people. We miss out on all sorts of things that, that I believe are actually meaning for, meaningful for us. Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty or in a hurry comes only to poverty. It's interesting to me that God links hastiness or hurriness to poverty. This would obviously include our finances. Have you heard the term get-rich-quick scheme? Yeah, you've heard that term because it doesn't work. <laughs> and everybody's aware of it. But people that I know that are wealthy, they took time to build and grow their wealth. But I think that this poverty could also be applied to our relationships. I, I think it's completely possible to experience a poverty of relationships if you're constantly and always in a hurry to get somewhere or to do something. Because real relationships take time. I think some of the wealthiest people I know are those that have great relationships and who have modeled for me what it looks like to be relationally wealthy. My hope for us in 2021 is that we would not just go, okay, that was cool. Like 2020, yeah, we got through it. We survived. All right, now we're on to the next thing. Boom, boom, boom. And we just fall back into the patterns of going a thousand miles per hour, of living life in the fast lane, of being in a hurry. And we miss all the beauty and wonder and grace and goodness and joy that God has found and desired for us to have in our relationships with one another. So number two, God didn't create you to be in a hurry. You need to slow down. And number three today, finally, God didn't create you to be in such a worry. You need to trust him. In addition to not resting well or even not slowing down, I believe one of the greatest enemies of our soul is worry. Worry is giving power to things, circumstances, or feelings that haven't happened yet. Isn't that crazy? We give all this power to something that hasn't even happened and doesn't even exist. And it may never exist. How much of your life is spent worrying over things that never happened? Come on, let's be honest. Like, I, I don't know what the percentage would be, but I would assume it'd be quite a lot, right? Because we're so concerned about what's going to happen. And sometimes those things happen, but sometimes they don't. And I would say more often than not, the things we worry about aren't even things that come about in our lives anyways, Worry is so dangerous because it's also one of the default conditions of our heart before God, or, I could, or we could say without God. Without God, we tend to fall into the trap of believing that we can control our lives and manage the outcomes. Without God, we tend to think that we're our own master. But that isn't true. Without God, we're actually ruled by everything and anything that has the power to inflict worry upon us. The Bible says that we're enslaved to sin, and this is why despite our best pursuit of trying to live a better life and be a good person, we end up repeating the same destructive cycles without God. 
But with God, come on, somebody. With God, our hearts are ransomed. Our hearts are made free and alive in Christ Jesus. And as a result, we're shown a different way to do life. A life that's not filled with worry, but with faith. Jesus comes on the scene and he puts his holy finger into our issue with worry. He says this in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Are you sure, Jesus? What about the stuff I eat? He says, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. What about my body and how I look? He says, don't worry about your body. What about my clothing? You know, I haven't been to the, the mall in a little while. Don't worry about what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now, just look at the birds. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't even store away things in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Verse 27, and can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? God is coming to us in the man Jesus and saying to us, this condition you have called worry is not gonna add anything to your life. It's not good for you. It's not functional. It doesn't work. You can't add anything to your life by worrying. And he goes on to say in verse 28, and why do you worry about these things? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor. They don't spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Wow. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O little faith? So, verse 31. Here's what he wants for us. Do not worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Some texts say the Gentiles, those that don't have a covenant relationship with God, run after all these things. And your heavenly father, guess what? He knows that you need them. Like he's not deaf. He's not stupid. He's not dumb. He knows that you need stuff. But, and here it is, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, just to put a little bow on it, in case you weren't listening, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many have found that to be true? Friends, God doesn't want you to worry. He wants you to trust. And there it is. That's what faith is really about anyways, isn't it? It's where we place our trust. Is our trust in the government? Is our trust in people? Is our trust in a vaccine? Is our trust in political candidates? Is our trust in our 401ks and our bank accounts? And our, is, is our trust in all of those things? Because if it is, I hate to be the one to break it to you. Those things are going to pass. Eventually, they're going to fail you. Eventually, they're going to give out beneath your feet, and you're going to be right back where you started. And Jesus comes to us, and he says, oh, my child, who I love. Do you not know how good my father in heaven is? That he will not take care of you. That he will not meet your needs. That he will not clothe you and bring you abundance and feed you and cause you to ride on the heights of the earth. Do you not know how good he is? 
Don't worry. Forget about it. That's what he wants us to walk in. For some of us, this is so counterintuitive to the way that we're programmed, even as Americans, right? You work, you save, you retire. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I don't know that that fits perfectly into the grid of Jesus's worldview here. I think Jesus wants us to see beyond the boxes, beyond the crutches, beyond the platforms and the people and the things and the politics and all the stuff that we've actually put our trust in. And he wants us to recalibrate our hearts to trust in the Lord. Why does he say that? He says that because he's after your heart. Ultimately, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. That's where you'll seek after things and desire things. So if you're desiring all this stuff, like the Gentiles here, that's where your heart's going to be. That's what you're going to be invested in. You're going to be focused and fixated on getting stuff. And if you're just focused and fixated on all that, you're, you're not spending any time with your Father in heaven. And Jesus came to show us the Father. He came to show us what God is like. He wants us to understand that God has always been interested in you and having a relationship with you. Ultimately, trusting God is what faith is all about. Do you trust, and let me ask us this as we close, do you trust that God will provide for your needs? Do you trust that he's actually the one that, that brings income into your life, that is the provider of your job? Or is it your great qualifications and intellect? Do you trust that he has your best interest at heart? Like, do you really believe that? I've had to ask myself that at times throughout my life. Like, God, do I really believe that you really are going to take care of me? That you actually aren't going to let me fail? Let me fall down? Let me perish? And I believe that. Do you trust that the Lord will actually keep his promises? If the answer is yes, and I hope it is, you're already on your way to God making all things new in your life. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.